Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting entrepreneur, you know, turned investor, but definitely entrepreneur at heart. We're going to be talking about his journey. We're going to be talking about hunting unicorns all over the world. I mean, he's had incredible success already, and I think that we're going to be learning as well about pattern recognition when it comes to finding the winners. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Jem Sertolu. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So originally born and raised there in Istanbul, how was life growing up? Give us a walk through memory lane. I'm, I'm a very lucky person. Istanbul was a great place to grow up when I was, when I was young. Uh, I'm 51, so I grew up uh, in Turkey in the 70s and 80s and then uh, left uh, after high school to go to university in the U.S., uh, where I got an education in, uh, in economics um, at the University of Texas in Austin, and then uh, jumped into a career in initially management consulting, and then uh, caught the entrepreneurial bug and uh, haven't really looked back. And how do you get the uh, entrepreneurial bug? I mean, I'm sure that coming all the way from Turkey to the U.S., you know, to the University of Texas there, where you studied economics, I'm sure that that was, you know, kind of life changing and, you know, getting exposure to that American dream and, and, and all of that stuff. But, but how do you think that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, got the, got triggered? It was, I think the euphoria of the, uh, the dot-com boom. Um, so I started, uh, as a, as a young professional in 93 and, uh, after a few years, uh, you know, the, the excitement around the internet and how it would change the world and the way we work uh, was just uh, uh, proliferating everywhere. And uh, I was very fortunate to be working in a couple of engagements uh, as, as a young consultant that uh, utilized uh, internet technologies and how uh, I had a chance to see how the internet and web-based applications would be used to take information and help decision-making around enterprises. And it gave me an idea that I just turned into a business plan. If you remember back then, you know, um, again, there was this time of optimism where, you know, every idea, every technological breakthrough vision would get support. So we were able to raise uh, some friends and family money. Um, I left my company with two of my colleagues and started a company called Select Minds, which was one of the pioneers around uh, social networking and how um, the social networking notion as we know it today would could be valuable in, in the professional domain. Uh, so if you read my first business plan at Select Minds, uh, it would read like what LinkedIn has now been able to uh, accomplish. Of course, you know, it's, you know, we're talking about 99, so little did we know that just as we were getting up and going, you know, came March of 2000 with the, with the big NASDAQ crash. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, everything was just, you know, came coming to a screeching halt. Uh, we had a few term sheets, which evaporated from our desks. And he, we found ourselves with a young company, a fledgling company that uh, would run out of money in a couple of months. So we had to pivot into a uh, enterprise software uh, business model, which allowed us to survive. But of course, we didn't become uh, LinkedIn. 
but the story did end well. Uh, you know, the, cult, the company was ultimately acquired by Oracle in a nice exit. Uh, I uh, exited a, you know, a couple of years earlier than that in 2005. And then that enabled my, uh, my journey as, a, as, a, as an investor uh, following my journey as an entrepreneur. And, and in, in this case, I mean, obviously going through these uh, ups and downs and through that uh, dot-com bubble and then dot-com bust, what do you think, you know, that taught you about understanding cycles when it comes to markets? Um, well, one thing that was very apparent was, uh, you know, when, it, when, it, when everything looks, looks great, it's rarely as great as it looks. But when everything looks bleak, it's rarely as bad as it looks uh, as well. So I think it uh, tempered my um, just general emotional state as a as a founder, uh, observing you know the, this this oscillation and how market sentiments can fluctuate. And now, as an investor, I think I'm able to transfer uh, that same experience into into our portfolio companies and the founder teams that we work with. But hey, first company, first exit, pretty good. Now, now, give us a, a walk through uh, through the journey here of of transitioning into the investor uh, side of the table. So, so how did that come about? Once I sold my shares in Select Minds in two thousand five, uh, my family and I decided to move back to Istanbul. Uh, initially, thinking that it was probably going to be for a temporary uh, transition or tra temporary relocation. But uh, when I moved to Istanbul, um, I started to meet young Turkish uh, consumer internet companies because that was uh, the most dynamic uh, segment uh, when I moved back in the in the sort of mid 2000s, uh, 2005, 2006 uh, type timeframe. And every company I started to meet, I found myself getting very excited uh, because I recognized, first of all, you know, the size of the economy. Um, you know, Tur Turkey is the 17th or 18th largest economy in the world with a, you know, $800 billion a year in economic activity and, and GDP. Um, and I felt, especially for business models that would require local execution, the eventual winners would perhaps come out of the local champions as opposed to a global company swooping in from the top and uh, capturing market share. I felt that you know some of these um, some of these local companies that needed to operate locally uh, would ultimately win and of course in the in, a, in an economy the size of turkey's economy the prize would be large so i thought that these would be great investment candidates of course uh, i'd never invested in anyone else's business uh, at the time so i had to first of all you know learn about the mechanics of how it works uh, of course, I made quite a few mistakes, but I'm I'm very very lucky in that uh, you know some of my first investments in that period turned out to be the big winners of uh, that first wave of Turkish internet uh, economy, and uh, and also the, some of the biggest exits, which uh, turned out to be fairly lucrative. And when you say mistakes, what kind of mistakes? Well, initially, I was uh, first of all, I found myself like too. Uh, risk averse and pessimistic about what could happen to these uh, companies. So I was uh, trying to manage my check size uh, and and keep it dynamic in that, uh, you know, I, I, I was writing bigger checks to opportunities that I felt would be safer and smaller checks for higher risk opportunities. In hindsight, when I when I when I look back, uh, that didn't turn out to be the case. 
I should have uh, kept a constant uh, check size when I was making those you know early angel investments. That's um, that's one of the learnings. Second was uh, how concentrated. I was in my initial uh, personal portfolio. I, I felt uh, again. I was very nervous writing these uh, first checks. You know, my you know hard earned cash sitting in the bank. Uh, you know, writing a check to a to a to a company that I'm just starting to meet is uh, is is a difficult um, obstacle to overcome. So I was quite slow. And then um, in I I ended up making about fifteen uh, small investments over the course of about five six years. And in hindsight, when I look back, I'm I'm horrified about how concentrated that portfolio was. Uh, I should have probably had been deploying at twice or three times the pace. Thinking about those investments, you know, why should, you know, anyone, you know, that is looking at doing angel investments, thinking about those investments more like a, as a write-off versus, you know, like maybe the typical investment that you would make on a public company where you're checking the stock fluctuate uh, on a daily basis? No, great question. Well, I think I think every angel investment in a young tech company is is essentially betting on a miracle, because I feel the default state of these young companies is that they will fail. Um, you know, in a world where you have uh, where you have a Walmart, you know, there should never have been an Amazon. In a world where you have Yahoo, there should never have been a Google. But the founders behind those companies, um, they made miracles happen. And I think, you know, every every startup is in a way a miracle because they're out there gaining market share from uh, from an existing company, an incumbent with uh, a lot more resources to fight them. It's just, you know, of course, there's many reasons uh, behind why, you know, the incumbents can't necessarily innov- out-innovate uh, these young companies. But uh, I've... I've felt when I was uh, writing these early checks that uh, each check as I was uh, writing that check uh, was also a write-off, that I would never see that money ever again. That was my uh, my state of mind at the time. And uh, how, how, how are you able to get to that state of mind? Because, I mean, you, 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 were, you were talking about it earlier. I mean, it's the hard money earned that you have in your bank account, I mean, that you worked so hard to get. So what, how, do you, how, do you, how do you transition to be at, in that state of mind? I think it's uh, it's digesting the way that these young companies are promising to create value uh, and understanding what what are some of the drivers of of that value that they'll ultimately create. Uh, I think in in some of my early investment uh, experience in in some of these real cases, it was the network effects. I felt that you know one, my my first investment was a, the at the time the leading Turkish e-commerce uh, platform similar to an eBay, and I felt when I looked at the metrics that this company was uh, was enjoying at the time, I felt well it's extremely difficult for anyone else to come and catch these guys, because you know every time you know the, the n plus one. Uh, seller uh, that arrives on the platform makes the platform more valuable for the for the customers for the buyers, and then the you know X plus one um, customer that arrives makes it more valuable for the sellers. So it's just a, it becomes a virtuous uh, cycle that then creates phenomenal network effects, and it's very very difficult to overcome that. So, in fact, uh, some of my uh, the, some of those initial checks, I was uh, probably feeling. Very confident about uh, about these outcomes. Uh, I felt that you know some of them ended up uh, 
looking like no-brainers to me that that you know these companies had a, had actually a very large opportunity to 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 capitalize on if they just continued to execute the way they were executing without the need for any any big breakthrough and obviously uh you know one thing led to the next and and early bird comes knocking so so why going from doing angel investments where maybe you have like more your independence you know you're not reporting to anyone else uh to outside investors why you know going into the VC? Great question. Um, in fact, uh, I actually uh, had a few conversations around raising a fund or joining a fund uh, previously and uh, decided that that wasn't very attractive at the moment. I was very happy with the, with the setup that I had going, which was just uh, investing my personal capital and then partnering with uh, other partners when you know the, the transaction opportunities were larger than my ability or appetite. Uh, what changed in 2012-2013 is the realization that uh, for every single one of our portfolio companies, when we required follow-on capital, anything that's beyond the $5-$10 million uh, capital requirement for these companies, we had to go to global investors who didn't necessarily understand or uh, appreciate the nuances that had to do with our region. And that made me nervous in that, you know, should that capital stop at, at any point, there'd be nothing in the region to replace it, which then made me a bit or quite a bit concerned about my own portfolio that you know, some of these companies would go bankrupt, but also made me very excited about the opportunity to essentially become that source of capital for that uh, you know, first proper Series A check of $5 to $10 million uh, for companies that are coming from our part of the world, which for us is what we call emerging Europe, uh, Turkey and Eastern Europe, and uh, which is a very underserved geography, uh, also very fertile with technical talent and to show up in this region uh, with a $150 million fund uh, to focus on that sort of $5, $10 million initial, uh, initial check as a lead investor, to me looked like a very, uh, very strong opportunity. And coincidentally, we were uh, helping one of our angel investments. Uh, my partner, Evan and I were uh, helping Peak Games raise their Series B round. Um, and uh, a German firm called Early Bird came, and uh, my now partner Roland uh, ended up leading uh, the B round of Peak Games. And uh, ironically, that has, uh, I believe, become the biggest venture returner in German history for a, for a German fund. Uh, was the Peak Games investment in in Turkey? And when we started to chat with Roland about the opportunity that we were seeing in our part of the world. Uh, he chimed in with his excitement around Eastern Europe, the fantastic technical talent that he comes across, you know, across Eastern European hubs. And we thought we agreed that this was a great opportunity and perhaps we should join forces. So we built the Early Bird Digital East Fund together, uh, which came to life in late 2013 um, as a an independent Focus uh, regional investor under the Early Bird brand, uh, collaborating with the other funds on the Early Bird uh, family, but uh, managed uh, fully independently and separately. 
Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, raising money for a fund is a little bit different than raising money for a company. I mean, it took you guys a year and a half. I mean, I'm sure that the ups and downs, you know, they're raising the fund were real. It was. And I find that the, you know, you mentioned pattern recognition earlier, Alejandro, uh, and I think the, 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 the venture world is built on pattern recognition. And the, there, the, the pattern that people have been used to is, you know, first-time funds, uh, emerging managers start out with very small fund sizes. So when we came to the market uh, with a $150 million fund idea, we were constantly being told that, oh, that's too much for a first-time fund. On the other hand, to execute our strategy, that felt like it would be the minimum viable size because we were looking to focus on that uh, Series A gap in the region. So it took us uh, took us a long time to raise. Um, you know, we're uh, you know very fortunate to have a few uh, developmental institutions that uh, came in as cornerstone investors uh, and and believed our idea and supported us, and then lots of friends uh, who who also joined as as LPs in that, uh, you know, in our first fund uh, that was, uh, you know, that came to market in 2014. And obviously the rest is history. 100 million euros, now 200 million euros. So, I mean, things are starting to work in the right direction now. There's one of the investments there that um, that was a smashing hit, and that was UiPath. So give us the uh, the story there of, of, of UiPath. What happened there? I'm glad to, uh, and our story with UiPath almost plays out as an as a as a perfect case study of what we base our strategy on. So um, UiPath uh, is a Romanian origin company. Um, we met them in 2014 with our with our young 150 million dollar fund, and uh, Daniel Dinesh, the the founder of the company, was uh, probably the most ambitious founder I'd ever come across uh, in my in my career. And, um, you know, we decided to back his uh, or UiPath's uh, seed round uh, with a million dollar check. 
we shared that uh, seed round with with uh, two other investors, with uh, Credo and and Seedcamp uh, out of London, um, who came in with uh, half a million and a hundred thousand. Uh, but we were the lead investor in that uh, first round. You know, this is a company with um, twelve people um, in Bucharest, uh, working out of an apartment building. Um, it's as unglamorous as it gets, and it doesn't fit any. Uh, models, you know, that that we're all used to hearing about the Bay Area, you know, uh, you know, close proximity to Stanford and this sort of tone of optimism. Um, you know, back in you know 2014, Eastern European venture capital was a uh, uh, an oxymoron. I mean, nobody nobody would uh, would think of it as a as a as a geography. To focus on uh, to invest in in technology deals, um, and just as we feared, uh, you know, a year uh, after our initial investment, the company needed more runway, and uh, we shopped it around, and nobody was interested in taking a look at UiPath. Um, we we always joke that uh, every VC in Europe has has passed on UiPath at least once. But so we ended up uh, bridging uh, the company's uh, sort of extension round uh, at that at that stage, but then the metrics started to show, uh, and the picture changed immediately. Uh, the company, uh, you know, we we introduced the company to the Series A investors, uh, which ended up becoming um, you know Axel uh, out of London, uh, ended up leading the A round. Uh, it was a very competitive round, and 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 I guess one 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 thing there really quickly, Jim. Uh, why? I mean, everyone was passing on this company, obviously, as as the metrics, you know, you know, came, you know, to a solid uh, nature or path there. You know, obviously, everyone wants to jump in. But before that, you were talking about that the fact that everyone was passing on them, and you know, it's a joke that everyone in Europe has passed on them. So, what gave you guys that conviction that this company had, you know, all the ingredients in place to achieve greatness? Uh, that you know really led you to say, hey, you know, we'll back these guys and and we'll 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 extend you know and do a bridge for them so that they can survive. Um, it's it was seeing that they had all the ingredients. You know, uh, you know, we have had the opportunity to see companies around the world, uh, both as entrepreneurs and investors, and could see that uh, the UiPath team lacked nothing. Uh, in fact, you know, they were one of the strongest teams we had. It's just the story didn't fit anyone's preconception of what a European technology company might look like. I mean, there had never been a, a Romanian European technology company. That's why nobody was looking there. Um, and, you know, I think that preconception still continues. The amount of venture capital available to founders from Eastern Europe is still dismally uh, low and the region remains extremely underserved. So one thing that comes to mind as, as I'm hearing you speak here, I mean, obviously, UI was a tremendous success. I mean, how big of a success was uh, UiPath? In April 2021, the company had a uh, IPO on the New York Stock Exchange that valued the company at over $30 billion in market cap. And, uh, you know, the company, uh, our investment in the company has already returned more than 11 times our fund size. So uh, I believe that makes us uh, the most successful venture capital fund in European history. So it's kind of ironic that that uh, that honor comes from 
you know, a fund that's focused on this very underserved or overlooked part of Europe. Uh, so that's uh, that that makes a, that makes us very proud. I guess to ground everyone that is listening, what kind of a multiple on the investment, you know, return are we are we looking at? The investment return on our UI, total UiPath investment uh, has been over 130 times oh um, of, of our of our total investment in the company. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, now, one thing that um, that I find you know incredible here is how comfortable you guys are to going into markets that are not as developed when it comes to the ecosystem. So, how do you think about pipeline and deal flow? Really creating those channels from nothing, you know, in 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 a market where you know it's still green. How do you go about that? We follow the talent. I I, I feel that our business is really built on a foundation around human capital. And one of the benefits of focusing in a defined niche, uh, in, our, in our case, that's a geographic uh, focus, is that uh, you're, you're really in a finite universe. In our case, that means uh, our goal is to keep our eyes on or essentially create a machine, a radar that is tuned to follow the three to 5,000 most talented technical resources in the re- that, that are coming from Eastern Europe. That's, that's the machine that we're trying to build. The wonderful outcome is that if you're able to do this, if you have a radar that is tracking the movements of the most talented young people in this part of the world, their movements will tell you a story. Their, their movements will tell you, you know, which are the companies that are creating the uh, best product managers, which are the regions or schools that the top software developers tend to come out of. You know, once these patterns start to emerge, then all you have to do is just uh, observe where that group, you know, the, the, that talented uh, individuals are, are really flowing to. A great example uh, and a case in point is our uh, Fund 2 investment, uh, you know, Payhawk, which um, is built by uh, Christo Borisov and his, his team, uh, his co-founders. Um, they came to us via a referral by their uh, former boss. Uh, they come from a company called Telerik, which uh, I believe is the biggest exit uh, so far in Bulgaria. And when the Telerik founder and CEO, you know, called me and told us that uh, his star product manager was starting a company, an expense management uh, software uh, company. We, we were all here. I mean, our, immediately our eyes turned and said, okay, you know, here's an extraordinary person referring us, somebody who's probably another extraordinary person. We should focus. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, we led the seed round at, at Payhawk which has now become the first Bulgarian unicorn. And, uh, you know, the, the only reason we had a chance to uh, identify the company early on is because we try to keep our eyes on where we think um, concentrations of these talented individuals uh, will, will emerge from. Uh, similarly, in, in our uh, second fund, you know, we're backing companies started by UiPath alumni because we think UiPath is, uh, is, a, is a fantastic place to to essentially hone one's uh, technical skills and entrepreneurial skills. Uh, Once you've seen a great tech company built firsthand from the front row, then uh, you're probably more likely to build the next one yourself. 
And obviously, Risto and Payhawk, we've had them on the podcast. So for the for everyone that wants to hear their story, you know, feel free to check it out now. On on when it comes to the investments, you know, I've heard that, and and you were you were talking about pattern recognition, literally within the first two to three minutes, you know, speaking with a founder, you're gonna know, you know, if it makes sense to continue exploring or not. What are you looking for in those two to three minutes? I think it's those cliche answers. Uh, I think what we're looking for is one. Uh, a big enough problem. You know, I think the, the biggest reason why we pass on opportunities is that we think that these are good ideas and perhaps, perhaps good companies, just not big enough for a potential venture outcome. So a big enough problem that's being sold. Um, based on where we focus our investment stage, we try to look for signs of product market fits. So, you know, the any indication that your solution to that big problem uh, it seems to find its match in terms of uh, paying clients and it's getting validated by the market response. And then we try to look for, you know, how realistic your resource needs are in line with the, you know, next set of uh, milestones that you need to, you need to uh, hit uh, to continue on the, on the company's journey. So those are some of the uh, things we tend to look at. I love it. Now, imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of what you guys are doing, you know, with the early bird, the digital East fund, you know, it's realized, you know, that vision. What does that world look like? Um, it looks like, you know, a world where uh, founders from Eastern Europe, emerging Europe are uh, essentially met with the, uh, the, the enthusiasm that they are, uh, that they see in other technical hubs around the world, where there is uh, uh, a continuum of funds focused on various stages to make sure that the, these good opportunities uh, pursued by these extraordinary founders um, are able to access capital, because that has been a big bottleneck uh, in in the region. Um, even at our modest size of two hundred million euros, uh, we're uh, you know, one of the very few locally run, focused, committed uh, sources of capital in the region that can write a, you know, five to $10 million first check. Now, imagine if I was to bring you back in time, Jim, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about getting into the investment side of things and becoming an investor in startups. And you're able to give a piece of advice to your younger self. What would that be and why, given what you know now, before you were to make that first startup investment? It would be patience. That investments are a long time, you know, long duration game, uh, or early stage tech investments, I should say, are a long duration game. And if you do the work where you're, you're digesting the information that you have access to, and reach a level of comfort, uh, a, uh, a, a, a conviction around an investment decision, then you take the action and, and make the investment, and then you, you, you're patient. Because you know, if, you're, if you're correct about some of those assumptions you're making, then the world will ultimately follow you know, that, uh, you know, the same uh, loop that you were able to complete uh, in, your, in coming to your uh, investment decision, the world will see that. And that 
that will start to manifest itself. Um, it takes time. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we are, you know, we made 15 investments out of our uh, first fund in 2014. You know, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a home run of a fund, but, uh, you know, seven of those companies are still live in our, in our portfolio, growing healthily. You know, it takes time. Uh, but you know, you reserve carefully, you essentially keep an eye on the commitments that you've made to the founders. You keep an eye on the commitments you made to your investors. And, uh, you know, some of the, some of that, uh, vision that you found yourself buying into when you're making the decision, um, actually, you know, comes true. Uh, it just takes time. So patience is probably the one advice I would give to my uh, younger self, uh, as I was starting investing. Very profound, Jim. So, uh, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, I'm quite active on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is uh, C Sartoglu, so it's my first initial last name, uh, or email, of course, which is my last name at earlybird.com. Amazing. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you very much, Alejandro. It's been great. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.